If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in the book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter. We're going to finish a long thought this morning that Paul has been giving us about what it means to live as a believer. Now, you remember that in chapter four, he talked about what it meant when you were living as a non-believer. In chapter five, it's what does it mean to live as a believer. And so it's specifically addressed to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. He, this, we're reading the mail that is ours as we read this. And it's very important that we understand that. And to kind of just recap that, he began chapter five by saying, we were to be imitators of God, very different construction. Normally we think about being imitators of Christ, imitators of God, to have God's character in our lives. And then he says, you know, that we're to, to be like Christ, to walk in love like Christ did, who was giving himself for us, like a sacrifice. And I just remind you, you're never more like Jesus than when you're giving yourself away in ministry to people. A lot of times we wanna hold that back, but we're, when we're exhausted from giving ourselves in ministry, we're like Jesus. Even Jesus had to pull away sometimes and rest because he'd been giving himself to people and ministering to people. And that's our call to walk in love. And he says, as we do this, there's to be a contrast of our character in how we walk and how we speak. You remember that? Sexual immorality. And we define that really kind of quickly as the word that means any kind of sexual relationship outside of a, a covenant marriage between a man and a woman. That, that, that Anything. So you say, well, does this? Anything. There, there it is, right there. That's the simplest way I can give it for you. Sex was reserved for a man and a woman who are in marriage together. Then he said impurity. That's any detestable act. Then he said greed. You know, when we start looking to money to take the place of God in our lives, that's an idol. You know, only God can satisfy those things. Safety, security, provision, our needs. Only God can give us that. Then he talked about making sure that our mouths didn't speak coarsely, that we weren't just engaged in that kind of lowest form of conversation that we could be. And as he did that, he said, I don't want anybody to be deceived by this. The wrath of God is coming on the disobedient. Now, I know we don't like to talk about the wrath of God. It's in the scripture. We got to deal with it. And he says, don't be deceived by this. When you hear people saying, God's not going to judge, that is not, you better watch out. Don't be fooled by that, he says. As a believer, be attuned to these things. And then he said, don't become their partners. And he said, you were once the darkness, now you are the light, walk in the light, and produce the fruit that the light brings. You remember, it was goodness and righteousness and truth. Now he comes to us and he says that the light that we bring is contrasted with the dark in such a way that light brings transformation. I want us to read verses 11 through 14 this morning to kind of finish this thought. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light has been made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up sleeper and rise up from the dead and Christ will shine on you. If we look back at verse eight, you remember I just mentioned this. He didn't say you were once in darkness. He said you were the darkness. He didn't say you be, you're now in the light. He said you are the light. And this then becomes what he's talking about is the transformation of a person who is in light and how we as the light can actually transform the darkness. That's pretty simple if you think about it because what we talked about last week was that Christ was the light of life 
and that light shined in the darkness. Can I just read that for you from the Gospel of John? I think it sometimes is just good for us to read this. And I hadn't planned on this, but I want to read it for you. In the beginning was the Word. It's talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. And that's just important for you to know. You know, if you're a creative person this morning, you get that in, in your heritage, that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that he's the creator. Everything was created through him. It was, it was made possible through him. God spoke the world into existence through Christ the Son. And it says, in him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it. This is very important for us to understand. Darkness, try as it may, tried to overcome Jesus and it couldn't. Jesus was raised from the dead. The light still shines forth. And now what Paul is doing, he's drawing on this and saying to us, because you are the light, you have transformational power over the darkness. In the first service, I was a little bit sleepy and I said that you as the darkness has transformation over the light. Wrong church, okay? Uh, and, uh, sorry, we make sure we get that one right. Uh, as the light, we're transforming the darkness. And here's what I mean. You know, we, we have these windows in here, but if we didn't, if you've ever been here on a sunny night, if we kill the lights, what happens is, I mean, it's, it's pretty dark in here actually, but you, you ever seen like just a little pin light that somebody might have? When it talks about the light transforming the darkness, it means that everywhere the light goes, darkness can't be. Even that little pin light. Even the little pin light, it changes everywhere that it goes, even in a room like this. In fact, if you have that little pin light, I mean, it's kind of amazing. If, if I just stood down here in the front with that and we killed the lights and there was no, no light coming in from the windows and I lit that, just a little pin light like that, if you were in the back of the room, you could step out of where you're sitting, you'd be able to find your way to me just from that little pin light. I mean, it doesn't take much. But it's because darkness is driven out by the light. And so if you look at what he's saying, he's saying to us that we are the light and there's a transformation that happens. Notice what he said in verse 11. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. In other words, let the light come and transform that. When he says don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, that's obviously a play on where he's just been, where he said a few verses ago, you are to have the fruit of righteousness and truth and goodness in your life. But don't participate in the fruitless works. Fruitless means barren. You think of a fruit tree. Do you remember that there was a time when Jesus and the disciples were walking by and they saw, I think it was a fig tree, right? And Jesus marveled, there's no fruit on it. Came back as they passed by it again and it said that Jesus cursed it because it was not producing fruit. It withered right there. It was barren, and that's what he's saying. There's a contrast here. There's a great contrast between what truth and goodness and righteousness do for our lives and the world, by the way, versus fruitless works. Fruitless works are things when, when, when you see them, they don't produce anything that lasts. They don't produce anything that's worthwhile. In fact, they're damaging. And, and people that are participating in that, they're barren is what he says. They, they have nothing to show for it. And so he tells us, don't participate with it. Now, when he says participate, he means don't take part. Don't associate yourselves with those 
things. Now, this is not don't associate with people who are not believers. We talked about that already through this thought of this passage. You know, for us, we are called to go into the world. We're called to leave here. We come here and we gather and we celebrate the risen Lord. And then we send you out on mission so that you penetrating the darkness as the light shine the light of Christ everywhere you go. But there's an important thing for us. We're not to participate. I know we're in a day and an age where we love the participation trophy. This is one you shouldn't have, right? This, this is not to be marked by your life. Your life is to be transforming. You expose things. Now, this is not kind of like investigative journalism where you, you figure out what's wrong in the world and then you begin talking about it. That's not what he means. The light exposes it. You know, if you have something hidden and a light's turned on, it shines and you, oh, man, I didn't need to see that. What he's saying is that as your life is lived on purpose for the Lord, something happens that transforms the darkness. You've heard it from this pulpit for years, even before I was your pastor. It's this question. When you walk into work on Monday, does anything change? The way people are talking, does it, does it change when you come around? The way people are acting, does it change? Or, or do they feel right at home being just as they are with you because there's nothing transformational about your life? No one would know that the light is shining through your life. See, this is a difference here. You are the light and where you go, you expose the works of darkness. Your life, in fact, should be a judgment on the darkness. Now, here's what I mean. I don't mean that you show up and, and you're judging people for what they're doing. It's not what I mean at all. But your life should so be different that it makes people go, oh, this is uncomfortable. I don't know about this. I'll give you an example. This is really simple of, of, of how this has worked out over and over and over in my life. From time to time, people will say, will you play golf with me or will you go in this golf tournament? We're gonna do this thing. And I'm not really a golfer uh, anymore. I play two or three times a year, but I'm happy to go do it. I really do enjoy it. But oftentimes, if you play golf and they love foursomes on a golf course because that keeps the pace of play up and they maximize the number of people that are playing. So they send you out in fours. And if you show up as a twosome, they often pair you with someone else that you don't know or whatever and it's often fun to get to meet people and hang out with them, but normally there's a moment coming. About the time that that guy hits the ball into the water and takes his club and hitting and kicking and then he starts swearing and cussing. A few holes after that, I always get this question. So what do you do? <laughs> and then it just gets weird for all of us, you know? Because I say things like, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor. And the responses you get are often shocking. Once I said that and a guy said, my God, you know, and I was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say. Oftentimes people will say, you know, I, I knew a pastor once. Well, that's good. <laughs> my great, great grandfather's uncle was a pastor. Good. Can we just play golf? It changes things. What about you? I mean, when you show up, does it change things? Or do you jump right in and participate? See, as we expose the darkness, it's important for us to be able to name what is wrong and immoral for society because part of a 
doing that and living our lives on purpose with the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ living in us, that restrains evil. There's an important piece of that because people that are not in Christ, they they don't understand what's right, wrong, evil. I mean, they, they, they don't even think about it like you do. I give you just a for instance of this, you know, in the American church, we've seen this on display actually. You may not think about it, but we, we talk about one medical issue here kind of consistently, and it's really the right to life. And it probably wasn't an issue that the church was really attuned to and thinking about until the 1970s when the Supreme Court of the United States said, well, we're gonna allow kind of on-demand abor- abortion because we feel like that, that that's right under the Constitution. And what we saw is from 1973, really up until about 1980, those numbers exploded with people doing that. I mean, it's just, it, was, it was wild. And then the church got involved and started saying, there's a human cost to this that's bigger than just a choice we make. There's what's downstream from this in people's lives. There, there's, a, there's a human cost to this. This is, this is important. And now we see after, you know, 30, 40 years, again, we've seen those numbers at all-time lows. Why is that? It's the restraining influence of the church. If the church doesn't say, well, this isn't right, how will they know? How would we know what was right if the Lord didn't tell us? How, How would we ever understand that? And so for us, it's important that we're transforming. Now, you get to the next verse in verse 12, and he says, don't even mention it. For it's shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. He says, it's so rough what people do. It's not even supposed to be part of polite conversation. It it shouldn't be part of what we do. The darkness conceals what is so unspeakably bad that it's shameful to even mention it. It shouldn't be something that you're talking about. And, And I think that's important because you may say, well, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth because you just said, Pastor, that we need to live our lives in such a way that it restrains evil and the church should be naming these things. And I think that's absolutely true. But if you've ever noticed, one of the things that we try to do even here, and I feel pretty strongly about this, is that we wanna talk about things in such a way that are proper and respectful. Right? We, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't, as the church, take kind of a voyeuristic attitude to, to look into these things and kind of enjoy them from afar and love to talk about them and be part of this. That's not what we do. In fact, I'll never forget being in a preaching class so many years ago and our professor telling us the story about how he'd gotten up. And I guess he had really gotten honest with the church about a whole lot of things that were going on in society. And he told us that this sweet little old lady came to him afterwards and said, pastor, I feel like you crossed the line today. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I know we need to hear these things, but I feel like you crossed the line. And he said, the Bible says we're to expose the deeds of the darkness. And she said, the next verse says it's shameful to even mention it. So there's a tension, isn't it? It's attention because it is, we do need to expose the, the deeds of darkness. But what he's saying is, this is not supposed to be the things that's on our lips. This is what you talk about all the time. If that's the jokes that you make. If that's what you're interested in, if that's what you're researching all them, what's the darkness and what's these? He said, it's shameful to even mention it. Be careful with that. Don't let that do that. It's a line for us. You're a life group leader. You, you speak from this pulpit. You, you have a responsibility to make sure that you speak the truth, but we do it properly. It's important to, especially, and I just remind us that we're teaching teenagers and children, don't ever hold back the truth, but do it properly. Do it in a way that is God honoring, even as we talk about sin. And I just remind us too, for all of us, have you ever heard somebody maybe give the testimony that was 30 minutes of of how they were totally messed up and then two minutes of I met Jesus and things have been good? I mean, are we supposed to glory in that? 
Probably not. That's who we were. Let's focus on what Jesus does. Let's focus on how he transforms our lives. Let's focus on what it means to be the light because what he says is the light actually transforms the darkness. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, verse 13. And 14 says, for what makes everything visible is the light. So what's he saying? He says, everything exposed by the light is made visible. In other words, you can't hide it anymore. And what makes everything visible is the light. What is the light? It's Jesus. You have the, the living Lord Jesus Christ indwelling in you with the power of the Holy Spirit. You're gonna find if you read the book of Corinthians, your body's a temple of what? The Holy Spirit. The, 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 the amazing thing to me is not that, that God exists. It's not that God uh, would let us worship him. It's that God came and inhabited this world and now inhabits us. That's incredible for me to think about. That God would choose to do that. And as he says here, because we have the light in us, every, everywhere that we go, everything that we do, we're exposing the light and constantly do that. Now, here's what I fear. I fear that in the church, we've lost sight of this. And what we've thought it would be really good to do is to move towards lost people. And if we act like them and we talk like them, then they'll feel comfortable. Now, that's not what that's saying. Can, can I remind you of a little story? Maybe you'll sing it along with me to keep me from having to sing it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, see what he could see. And the Lord Jesus said, you come down for I'm going to your house today. Jesus never moved away from lost people, but he never became like them. He went to Zacchaeus' house. They ate and Zacchaeus was a thief. Jesus didn't become a thief. Zacchaeus became generous, right? Do you see the difference? When the light shows up at your house, it exposes the darkness. It changes things. And so as us living in the light, when we show up, what starts to happen is there's a transforming power of Christ living in us. Last week, we looked at Matthew 5 and we talked about what it meant to be a city set on a hill as we walk in the light. God has placed us here so that we shine in the darkness. And what should happen is it's attractive to people who are lost. It, it, it shows them the difference. And, and this is what I say. There's coming the day very soon, I, I really believe, you just inviting people into your home to see a godly marriage. And we're going to talk about that in just a couple of weeks. Just let them see a godly marriage. That's a witness. It's a witness. Because they'll say, well, they talk to each other differently. Hmm. Man, that wife honors her husband. That husband loves his wife like Christ loves the church. What does that even mean? When they said that, what, what does that, what, how did Christ love the church? What is that? What does it mean? What, what, what's different about them? What's different about that person when he shows up at work? He's so ethical. I, I love it when people say like, you can't get that guy to bend. He won't do it. You can't get that lady to bend at work. She won't do it. It's a witness. It exposes something that's in the darkness and it has transformational power. I was reading recently about a group of kids that had gotten lost in a cave and trapped. And I mean, it's a great story of their rescue, but what was so cool about it was they described the moment when the rescuer's light broke through. If you were in darkness for a couple of days and you saw the first little ray or shaft of light come through, Man, indescribable, right? Incredible for you to see it. And that's what it's like for us. As we're walking through this world, he's telling us, make sure that you are exposing the darkness everywhere you go. What he's saying, bring Jesus. 
Because as you bring Jesus, it changes things. You don't need to be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does a great job without you. Let the Holy Spirit do the work of conviction. You be you. You be you. You be the person that shows up and is not afraid to live on purpose for Jesus everywhere you go. And it's mind-blowing what begins to happen. People begin to see the difference. And sometimes, you know, I'm not saying live your witness and and use words if necessary. No, you're going to need to use words. That's absolutely true. You will have to do that. But the point for us is to let our lives be transforming. Can I tell you, nobody's going to get changed by you being like them. It doesn't work. And the church is missing that. God wanted a people set apart and holy unto him who would change the world by the character of their conduct, the words that came out of their mouths, the way that they dealt with people, their business dealings, their social dealings, it should be different. Paul kind of finishes this by saying, therefore it is said, get up sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Scholars are a little bit confused about this because most of the time when you see italics in the Bible, it generally means that they're quoting from the Old Testament and this is not true in this one. It's a quotation that could perhaps mean, if I can get my pages to open, there we go. It could mean that it's a summation of what Isaiah the prophet talks about in Isaiah 60. Arise, shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord shines over you for darkness will cover the earth and total darkness the peoples. But the Lord will shine over you and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light, kings to your shining brightness. Could be. But a lot of people believe that this was a hymn that was sung as people were baptized. It's a quote from that hymn. That'd be interesting, isn't it? When we talk about baptism, we're picturing something. The reason that the Baptist church doesn't sprinkle or pour is because those don't give a picture. And and for us, baptism is a picture. It's, It's like a wedding ring. I mean, I take it off, if I can get it off. Still married, you know, put it back on, married. I could give it to you if you're not married, you put it on, it doesn't make you married. It's a picture. That's all that it is. So we'll bring you in on one side of the baptistry and as we do often, we'll say, you know, this is so-and-so and they've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and we say these kind of words. You remember this? You know, I'm gonna baptize you now in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk and I bet you never use this word in your life as a preacher word, newness of life, new life, right? What does it mean? something has happened and he's picturing something. Can I read it to you from Ephesians chapter two? If you want to turn back there, it's just the first couple of verses. He describes darkness like this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, According to the ruler of the power of the air of the spirit, now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in the fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath as others were also. What does he mean? Before we met Christ, we were in total darkness. We were in depravity. We were dead. God was not living in us. We we were producing barren, fruitless works. There was nothing to it. It all added up to nothing. 
I'm so glad he didn't stop right there. Would you read the next verse? But God, who is rich in mercy, and that ought to make us say amen. Because of his great love ought to make us say amen that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses, you're saved by grace. What's he getting at there? He's saying that the person without Christ is dead. So it would make sense, wouldn't it? That this picture, when they're saying, get up, sleeper, get up, rise up, rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That what happens is for us, when we're in darkness, the light has not shone on us. But it's, it's like those kids caught in that cave. Maybe today is the first time you're seeing the, you're seeing the little shaft of light. It's starting to make sense. Or you've been watching someone's life and it's drawn you to the Lord and, and maybe you're considering following the Lord Jesus Christ and giving your life to him. This, this is a call to that. It's a call to repentance. The point is not to, to rebuke here. The point is a call to life. And what he's saying for us is that those who are in the darkness are dead and only Christ can make us alive. Well, how does that happen? The Bible says that it happens for us when we recognize that we're a sinner. I've been thinking about Vacation Bible School this week. It's not that far away. It feels like it is, but June is just around the corner. You know, we teach our kids this in Vacation Bible School. It's really easy to remember. Maybe it'll help you this morning. The ABCs of being saved. A, admit that you're a sinner. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You might as well admit it because it's true. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. But the scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Can't earn it. Can't work for it. Can't be good enough for it. Can't have it bought for you will not work. It only comes because of God's mercy towards us. As Paul says, God who is rich in mercy and loved us, Christ died for us on the cross. And it's this gift. So we say, A, admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, that he's God's son. The scripture says that Jesus took on flesh so that we could see God manifest before us, fully God and fully man. It's one of those things that this side of heaven, I don't know that we'll ever understand how he could be fully God and fully man, but he was, and he lived a sinless life and died on the cross for us. Believe that he's God's son. See, commit your life to him. Romans 10, nine and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. So maybe today is the day for you to wake up from your sleep, to rise up and see the light of Christ shining on you. That's what we want to see. That's what we want you to see. We want to be part of that. We, we want to reflect the love that Jesus has in the light so that you can see it and so that you can get a clear picture of how you can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him. So when you commit your life to him, believing he's the Lord, it just means that you're submitting your life to him. You're turning it over. You're saying, you're the boss. I'm gonna follow you, I'll do what you say. If you say it's right, I'll do it. You say it's wrong, I'll avoid it. You're the boss. So maybe it's time for us to wake up. You know, as a church, I think it's important for us to make sure that we're not asleep in the light. You can kind of get dulled into that. 
You can take a nap in the middle of the day. I love a good nap. I love a good nap when you sit outside and the sun is shining and it's just right. Warms you up. and doesn't have to be nighttime to be able to do that. But for the church, we shouldn't be asleep. We should be tuned in and turned on to what God is doing in this world and make sure that we, as we walk in the light, are exposing the deeds of darkness, not joining in with them. Can I tell you that that's not going to win anybody to Christ, you being like the lost? What changes is when people see the light shining through you and through me. And God does something incredible in that. As we point people to the Father through our lives, the Holy Spirit comes along beside of them and does his work. He convicts them of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And people will be saved. One of the things I'm most excited about right now is that over this first part of the year, we've seen seven people already baptized. We have three more to baptize. We're working on a date to get them baptized. And I love it when we baptize children. That always makes me happy. But I get very excited when we baptize adults because they're showing you something. My life has been changed by our relationship with Jesus Christ. My, my life is different. We were just singing about how God's transforming power turns graves into gardens. He makes things new. All things become new in Christ. And for those of us who are in Christ, we've got to make sure that we're walking in the light. Let's make sure today that we don't leave here confused about that. Let's make sure today that we don't leave here confused about what our purpose is once Christ has saved us is to go into the world as the light of Christ and point lost men and women, boys and girls to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. And I'm going to ask you just to consider that as a believer. And then in a moment, I'm going to ask maybe for you, if, if you're living in the light and maybe you would answer no. And I'm going to just walk you through something in just a minute that might change your life. But for us as believers, can we start with us? Because this is written to us to make sure that we're in the light. Are you participating with the things of the darkness? If you are, you know it. God just convicted you of it. Would you renounce that? Turn away from it? Have no fellowship with that. Ask the Lord to forgive you of that. Father, we as your church come before you and we humble ourselves again today and we want to be in the light as you are in the light. We want to be your transforming church here on earth that changes the places that we go at work, at the ball field, at school, in our families, Lord. We want the light of Christ to shine today. We renounce the works of darkness. Lord, we, we say that we have no fellowship with them. May we be found faithful and fruitful in righteousness, goodness, and truth today. Forgive us, Lord. 
Maybe today is a person in this room, you would say, I'm, I'm not saved, but I want to be. I want to trust Christ as Savior. After the service, I'm going to be down here at the front. I want to talk to you about that, but I, I don't want to leave here today without giving you an opportunity to pray and ask Christ to save you. It's not the prayer that will make the difference. It's the confession of faith that you have. But can I lead you in a prayer that would just maybe echo what your heart's saying as you just repeat it silently there? Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I admit it. I confess that I have left things out I should have done and I've crossed over lines I should have stayed behind as I violated God's law. Forgive me. I repent. And I ask you to save me today. Would you save me and set me free? Make me alive in Christ. I believe you are the son of the living God. I believe you're the Lord and that you rose from the dead. Thank you for saving me today. Change my heart, oh God. Father, our prayer this morning is for your transformation. Our prayer is that you would transform the one who doesn't know you, make them alive in Christ. And Lord, that you would make us a city set on a hill. May it be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.